Hey everyone, this is Grant and I'm here with Dave and you're about to listen to our last episode of this season of To Russia With Love. That's right, it's October, Halloween's coming up and so we thought that a fitting way to end the season uh, would be with something seasonal for Halloween. So we're going to be talking about uh, things on the dark side today. We're going to be talking about the unexplained, weird phenomena, the paranormal, and uh, some famous cases of paranormal phenomena in Russia. Things that nobody's ever come up with a scientific explanation for. And we've got a couple of terrifying stories of our own from when we lived in Russia. Yeah, I'm excited to get spooked out. We hope you guys are too. So, hope you enjoy. Fifteen years ago, two young Americans traveled to Russia. And they were never heard from again. <laughs> we are the reanimated corpses of Grant and David. And this is a special Halloween episode of To Russia with Love. So, Dave, as long as I've known you, you've loved Halloween, right? Yeah, and and long before we knew each other, like really ever since I was a, a kid, since I I was aware, I've I've always loved the the creepy, the macabre. Um, I remember my first experience with Halloween when I was a kid. I, man, I must have been three or four years old, hmm. and my parents took me to the mall in October. They had never really done anything for Halloween before then, but our first time to the mall in October, we go there and there's all the decorations and bats and spider webs. <laughs> they they still tell the story of I just had my eyes wide open and and I was amazed. I thought it was so cool. <laughs> and, and then we came to this one store and it had this huge monster. It was like this big monster in a black cloak. It had these two red flashing eyes and I just stared at it and I said I said moving eyes. And that was what I <laughs> That's what I decided to call that monster. I called it Moving Eyes. They said ever since we got home, I wouldn't shut up about Moving Eyes. <laughs> I just moving kept eyes. I kept saying, "Man, I want to go back to the mall. I want to see Moving Eyes." And I thought it was so cool that his eyes blinked red. And so like for a long time I kept talking about him, and eventually Halloween passed and I it seemed like I'd forgotten about him. And then the next that year Easter came around. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom taught me this this cute little Easter song for church. And so the song was like, uh, I'm glad for Easter Day. I'm glad for Easter Day. I'm glad that Jesus is alive. I'm glad for Easter Day. Yeah, yeah. As, yeah, you probably heard something like that as a kid. Oh, yeah. So she taught me this song. And then one day she hears me going around the house and I'm singing, I'm glad for Halloween Day, I'm glad for Halloween Day, I'm glad that Moving Eyes is at the mall, I'm glad for Halloween Day. <laughs> oh, Moving Eyes. <laughs> we we had some good times with Moving Eyes. You shared Moving Eyes with me when I was when I was living with you out there in Russia. 
Yeah, so when we were out there, my, my mom sent me a Moving Eyes so we could have a little little taste of Halloween out there. Oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, so uh, so so all of a sudden we get this package in the mail. This is probably uh, September, maybe early October. I don't remember exactly, but we get this right. package in the mail from your parents, and we were always excited about getting packages. Um, you know, sometimes I think your parents sent us bottles of Tabasco. Um, my folks sent pictures and laundry sheets, which uh, didn't make any sense because we didn't have any dryer in our, <laughs> in our home. Yeah. <laughs> but we were excited that we got this package and uh, we went and picked it up and brought it back home. You opened it up and you and immediately you yelled, "Moving eyes!" And you had <laughs> it, uh, and they they sent you this little uh, bite-sized <laughs> uh, moving eyes that hung and and had blinking eyes, huh? Yeah, it was like this cloaked figure with like a black cloak thing and a skull head and these blinking red eyes. And it was one of those Halloween decorations that are it's noise activated. Yeah. So if uh, yeah, a loud noise goes off and it. And it'll activate. And so the skull head, it shakes and it makes like a Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was so cool. Oh, I loved moving eyes. Yeah, we immediately we immediately set up moving eyes over in Murph's room. Yeah, by that point, Murph had moved away from Russia. He had left. And so his room was kind of just a storage room. Uh, we would keep clothes in there. We had we had stacks of those juice cans in there. You remember all those yeah. juices we would buy? Yeah, I remember those. And uh, and I think we were, we were bummed that Murph was gone. We were feeling lonely. So we figured, hey, we've got this empty room. We've got a new roommate. Let's put moving eyes <laughs> over in Murph's room. Yeah, so Murph was replaced by this demonic creature that, that we hung from the ceiling. Yeah. And we put him in there with all the juice cans. It was there were these these delicious little juices. You would get like a tiny can of it and so we had stacked up dozens of these cans in in that room. Yeah. And we put moving eyes in there. And there was that that one time we were in the kitchen and the cans just fell over out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. We're in there we're eating dinner and uh not moving around and there wasn't like an earthquake or anything that we noticed. No. And all of a sudden we hear the cans just one after another. The stacks are falling over like some as if somebody were tipping them over one by one. Just Yeah. And so the it noise the noise woke moving eyes up and so we hear then moving eyes is shaking and going And we were joking about it. We you I think you you said Grant you're like, "Oh, moving eyes is pissed. Moving eyes hates yeah. noise." <laughs> Yeah. But so we were we were laughing at the time, but then that night I, I decided to try sleeping in Murph's room. I just to change a pace or whatever. And so that night I slept on his old Soviet army cot in that room. Yeah. And you know, like once once the lights were out and it was all dark, weird things happen sometimes. And the there's this logical part of your brain that says this is all for fun. It's all just, you know, it's it's my mind pulling tricks on me or whatever. Yeah, and you think about logical explanations. Why would the cans fall over? Where the, the water pipes were probably vibrating or something. Some kind of vibration yeah. in the building. But then at night, the lights are out and it's dark, and that other primitive part of your brain takes over, and, and the power of suggestion comes in, and you start to think, what if there's something else going on here? And at that time, when Moving Eyes got pissed at the cans, at that time in our lives, the Baptists had been really writing us about stuff, really just more judgmental than than usual even. Yeah. So, you know, for the Baptists, like anything could get a demon into your life. It was like playing yeah. playing cards on your laptop could get a demon. Uh, reading a book about other religions could bring a demon into your life. Smoking cigarettes, whatever. And we did all those things. Yep. And so like 
at that night in the dark and I'm lying there with moving eyes next to me, I just start thinking, like, what if the Baptists are right? Like, what if there are these demons out there? What if we've invited something into our lives? And I thought of a story from uh, these books, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Alvin Schwartz wrote these books. I don't know if you ever read them. Oh, yeah. With the creepy drawings. I, You know, I I stayed away from them. Yeah, those 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 drawings creeped me out. There was like skin falling off of faces and stuff, and I I I, I couldn't dig that when I was a kid. Oh, terrifying! Well, I love them, but they they still scare the crap out of me. And so, but I read them as a kid, and he's got a story in there about these farmers that they make a scarecrow. They name it Harold, and then they just start they start talking to Harold, and they give him a personality, and Harold comes to life because like they've given him life by giving him a personality. Ah. Oh. And he becomes like this evil thing in the story. And so I was thinking about Harold and thinking, well, shoot, what if we what if we accidentally invited a demon into moving eyes by by talking <laughs> about him too much? By telling him to shut up, shut up, moving eyes. <laughs> Knock it up. We abused him too much and and so he was he was having his revenge. Oh yeah. I I like that whole night I couldn't sleep because I kept thinking that I was gonna see moving eyes. I'd like open my eyes and he'd be floating by the bed right next to me, or he was gonna come down and, <laughs> and touch me or something. And it's like it sounds hilarious now, but it was terrifying. Like in the in this strange country, it's starting to get really cold, winter's coming soon. Yeah. We got the Baptists breathing down our necks and all that that pressure built up and it took the form of this fear. This like this ancient yeah. instinct of what what could be out there in the dark, in the shadows that we don't know about. Yeah, yeah, I remember the next morning you were uh your eyes were bloodshot. It didn't look like you slept at all. <laughs> oh, and, it was um, horrifying. and you were freaked out. But uh, there was there was a few things that were happening to us at the time that really freaked us out. I think around the same time you and I were up just kind of hanging out in our room. Um, we kind of set up our room with beds and desks, and uh, eventually we had a little TV in there. Maybe one day we were watching TV or just listening to music, but all of a sudden we hear a knocking on our window of our room. We turned and looked, and there was nothing out there. And almost immediately after that, there was another knocking on the window over in Murph's room, which was on the other side of the building. And we both looked at each other, and we were freaked out. And you could say, like, well, maybe that was, you know, someone playing a prank on us. We had friends who would pull pranks on us or come knock on our door and say, oh, it's me, Fat Mormon. <laughs> so you you would think immediately that would be the first thing, except for the fact that we lived on the third floor of this apartment building. We're on the third floor, and our apartment was right in the middle of this long row of apartments. Yeah. Like the front window that led to the courtyard between all the buildings, and the back window, which leads to the area with the trees. And the apartment is right in the middle of this building. So there's no way to run around and... and and do that. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't just knock on the back window and then run around to the front. You would it would be a long run. You'd have to go down the entire row of apartments and then come back down that that row of apartments to the other window. And so it would have to be some kind of like coordinated attack of people planning this and somehow talking on cell phones or whatever yeah. and saying, okay, I knock and now you knock. And they'd have to be up on ladders to get up to the third floor and somehow like bring these two ladders, climb up there, knock on both windows and then get down the ladder and drag it off in two seconds because we looked out the window and we didn't see anybody out there. There was nothing there. So yeah, that was that was really freaky. There was another time, remember we were we were in our apartment and all of a sudden this weird sound happened. It was kind of this um vibrating sound where and it got louder and louder and almost 
too loud where like we had to close our ears, but it was making this sound like and we couldn't figure out what was going on and that freaked us out as well. Yeah, there tons of tons of unexplainable things happening there. And uh, and we weren't the only ones. Russia's got a long history of strange and unexplainable phenomena happening there. Obviously, you've got legends in Russia that go way back to the pagan times, the pre-Christian times, uh, you know, legends of different spirits that live in the woods, that live in your house, uh, house gnomes, uh, a gnome, the banik who lives in the banya, and, and there are all these legends of ancient gods and spirits, stories of magic and witchcraft But then in modern Russian history, modern documented Russian history, there are a few stories that are really chilling and bizarre, and nobody's come up with a definitive explanation for these stories. Case number one, Ghost Trains and the Skull of Nikolai Gogol. So this is this is one that uh, that I really enjoyed because uh, I really I loved our times on the trains and uh, hearing that there was ghost trains in Russia just really piqued my interest. This story kind of revolves around a Russian writer named Nikolai Gogol. Gogol was a, a great writer, very troubled person. He he wrote macabre tales. He was kind of similar to Edgar Allan Poe or Franz Kafka. Yeah. He had a story about uh, an overcoat, a man who bought a coat and it got stolen. And as revenge, he became a ghost and haunted people and stole their coats. One was called V, and it was about a demon um, one of his most famous stories was called The Portrait, and it was about this evil portrait that gave an artist a chance to either become rich and famous or to become a great artist. And the man chose to be rich and famous, and then he didn't become a good artist. He just became kind of a commercial artist. <laughs> man, I need, to, I need to read those. I've read V, and it's a great story, and it became one of the— Yeah. It was the first Russian horror film ever. Oh, really? Yeah, there's one, an old black-and-white film in wow. the Soviet times. And then there's been a been a couple remakes since then. I'll have to check that out. Well, uh, Gogol, he, he was a troubled— person he be, he started going mad later on in his life he was he was obsessed with the idea that he was going to be buried alive huh so he had like strict rules that he didn't want to be buried in a coffin until after his body started showing signs of decomposition so when he died he was buried and uh, later on his body was uh, planned to be moved to a different cemetery and they exhumed his body and there were scratches on the inside of his coffin Whoa. and his head was turned. No way. Yeah, it's weird. And and I'm pretty sure people listened to him and, and put him in only when his body was decomposing. So that's a little bit unexplained. Yikes. But what happened after that was interesting. Some eccentric collector basically stole his skull. They stole <laughs> Gogol's skull. He would collect parts and artifacts from different writers and playwrights. And, and so he, he was able to get the skull and kind of stole it and went traveling around with it. It was kind of one of his uh, special kind of heirlooms that he would kept 
kept with him. Weird. Later on, someone was traveling with the skull. He wanted to, this other person wanted to play a prank on his friends. And so he had, he had the skull to freak him out. And uh, he was traveling on a train and he was going to frighten the friends with it. And all of a sudden he became overcome with terror. Like this guy just totally freaked out. So he ran through the train, ran all the way to the back end of the train and burst through the doors and jumped off the train and just landed on the tracks and rolled. And as the train kind of went away, he regained his composure and thought, what did I just do? That's ridiculous. Nothing was going to happen. Yeah. I just jumped off the train for no reason. <laughs> he started running after the train to try to catch up with it because otherwise he was just kind of stranded. And then all of a sudden the train uh, started going into a tunnel and it was enveloped with this thick fog and it just disappeared. What? Wait, the whole train disappeared? Yeah, up and disappeared. For whatever reason, this guy had some kind of premonition that something was going to go wrong and he saved himself. Everyone else on the train disappeared. They were gone. No one ever saw them again. Did they go try to, like, investigate it? Yeah, the uh, the the police, the investigators came and looked, and there was no sign of what happened to it. Even so much so that they said that there was no sign of the suit from the from the from the train's chimney. The smokestacks, yeah. The, yeah, the smokestacks. There was no no sign of that in the tunnel. Um, I don't know if that you know would be have been something that would have lingered, and they could have could tell how long that would stay. But they could not find it. It it went into the tunnel, but never came out. Whoa! But after that, people start seeing phantom trains in the in the years after that all over the country. There's a couple of different uh, accounts of that. There's a soldier who was going to take a train. He he bought a train ticket, but he didn't have money for uh, a hotel. So he asked the conductor if he could sleep in the back of a train car. And the conductor said, "Yeah, go to the repair yard. There's a train parked there. You can." You can climb in. Don't tell anybody I told you you could do this, but go in there. You can sleep. And so the guy goes and he finds this old steam train and uh, he thought, okay, well, this is strange. I don't know why they would have one of these old ancient trains. Because this is, this is a soldier in like the, like the 1940s, right? Like World War II. Yes. So they didn't, they didn't use the steam trains anymore. No, they didn't use them. The train, the train disappeared, the one with Gogol's skull on it, it, it disappeared in 1911. So this is like 30 years after that. Yeah. Different trains, different uh, technology. But he said, you know, whatever. Uh, the guy said, I can come back here and sleep, so I'm not going to question that. And he went over and he put his hand on, on the handle and he just got blasted. And then it disappeared. So he, got, he just got knocked, knocked back from the old steam train and then it, then it disappeared in front of him? Yeah. Wild. In 1991 in Ukraine, they found a body that was basically dismembered and and just destroyed over several meters of the train tracks. Investigators like came Like one that got said, hit by a train, right? Like if it would drag you yeah. and, and just, you know, drag your body and scatter it across the tracks. Yeah, so they called the authorities, but the authorities came and said, this train line just hasn't been active for 20 years. There was nothing there. So the idea is that this ghost train just hops around different places all over there. Yikes. You know, I, 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 in, in researching some of this, a lot of what I found out was from, a, from another podcast called Mysterious Universe. Yeah, that's a that's For a those good of one. you who are into this kind of thing, go check it out. It's a great podcast. They're always talking about creepy, paranormal type stuff, and it's awesome. I love Mysterious Universe because it's the perfect mix of like skepticism, but they're open to strange things, but they're not so open that they'll believe any ridiculous stories so there it's this mix of critical thinking but also openness and also they're australian so they're hilarious and they're really snarky and and i love their aussie uh, yeah. sense of humor it's really fun to listen to <laughs> it's great go check them out um one thing that i found in researching ghost trains this is actually a story 
in America. It is from near Statesville, North Carolina. The Telegraph uh, reports about it that basically a man was killed searching for a ghost train. There was this rumor that near Statesville, North Carolina, there was a crash um, in 1891 and that every year, uh, if you go to the site, it was basically a bridge that collapsed and fell into a ravine and people died. And if you go to that site, you can hear the whistle of the train and you can hear people screaming as they presumably fall into the ravine from over 100 years ago. Nice. People go there and check it out and they want to they wanna see if they can hear that. And in 1991, there was a man who was killed searching for this ghost train. The funny thing is, it wasn't a ghost train that killed him, didn't do anything to him. It was an actual train that was coming over the bridge <laughs> and he got caught on the bridge and and was and was killed. Oh, that sucks. So you never know. You never know if it's going to be a ghost train or a real train. But yeah, so that's that's the uh, that's the story of the Gogol skull and the and the Russian ghost trains. Событие. Перемещение во времени. Case number two. Time warps in Russia. So all over the world, there are these stories about people who seem to see through some veil in the space-time continuum. And for a moment, they're able to see something from another time. Hmm. And these are stories that people report from countries all over the world. Uh, there's a famous story of uh, these sisters from England who were touring France. And they were in their hotel. And for a couple of minutes, they were witnessing this World War II battle. This happened years after World War II ended. But they're hearing bombs and the screams and seeing the flashes outside their window. And they freaked out, mm -hmm. thinking that something's it's a terrorist attack or something. And then they go outside and everything's normal. And they, it, from what they reported, it's, it's almost like there was a time slip, like two moments in time overlapped with each other. Yeah. So people have this vision of the past of something that happened in that place. And Russia mm -hmm. is no exception to that. So there are tons of stories from Russia of these kind of time slips, of people seeing something from another time. Uh, there is a hunter in the Kaliningrad Oblast. This was 1999 in September. And this hunter was out in the woods, and all of a sudden he, he hides behind a tree because he sees these two guys with guns. And so he peeks out and looks at them. And these guys, they're wearing Nazi uniforms. Wow. Clean, brand new World War II 
German uniforms, and they look just like normal humans, he said, but they're speaking German, they're arguing, they're looking at a map like they're lost, uh, they're speaking in soft voices like they don't want to be heard, and so these two hmm. German soldiers go off into the woods, and he follows them to see where they're going, and then he just loses sight of them, and he can't find them, and there's no tracks in the dirt after that either. Oh, wow. I would imagine that, like, okay, maybe there's these are some World War II enthusiasts and they're doing some kind of reenactment out here, but no tracks and, and just losing them out there. That's that's bizarre. Right. Yeah, and it's the kind of story that people have reported these things for, for centuries. And in the old days, everyone called it a ghost story. Mm. You know, everyone said that must be the spirit. These guys probably died there and, and their spirit is stuck to that place because they died and they couldn't complete their mission in life or whatever. But there's another mm. theory uh, and it goes into quantum physics and the multiverse theory. A, a part of quantum physics says that the universe that we live in is made up of a lot more than just the four dimensions that we know of. They say there are actually, okay. there could be infinite numbers of dimensions where everything that happens or every possible thing that could happen exists in a different parallel dimension. And this theory says that the past and the present and future all exist parallel to each other. It's all happening at the same time. Huh? Right, right. It's all lined up next to each huh. other. And every now and then in certain places and certain times, for whatever reason, the fabric of that space-time continuum gets funky. It uh, changes, and sometimes those moments can overlap with each other. So, again, this is it's a far-out theory based, based on actual quantum physics and observations, but, you know, it's taking it five steps more. So there might be something to it, there might not. But if there is, it's an interesting way to look at ghost stories. When people say they see someone dressed in clothes from another time, and a lot of those ghost stories, the ghost doesn't react to the living person. It's just a replay from the past. Like, they're not seeing the living person at all. Well, what, uh, tell me, tell me some more of these stories, then. Yeah, there are a lot of these stories from Russia. One of the, the more interesting places where the space time continuum seems to change and time seems to, to run in a different way is this uh, island called Barsalkimies and it's on the mm-hmm. Aral Sea and this island Barsalkimies and I, I read up on it and actually it's nowadays it's become a peninsula because the water's gone down but there are a few mm-hmm. expeditions over the years have gone to that island and time seems to run slower there. So in the 1970s this uh, this man Vladimir Babunin he was uh, part of a geodesy research party so they went to the island to do some stuff and the party split up. Half of them went to the other end of the island. Each group had a portable radio. So Vladimir Babuinian, he was the radio operator. And uh, he sat down to, after a few hours to make contact with the other group. And he sits down and this thick fog comes through the camp. And the fog comes and he gets on the radio. The radio is working fine. The lights are flashing. But he got no response from the other group. Oh. Just nothing for like 15 minutes. But everything on there shows that their radio is supposed to be working fine. He finally gets through to the other group, and the other person says, Where have you been? We've been trying to contact you for a whole day. Whoa. And for him, 15 minutes had passed where he was. Wow. And they so they finally meet up with the other group in the middle of the island. They check their watches, and everyone's watch is on a different time. Huh. Like, time just became entirely relative for the whole group. And all of them, it was passing at a different speed for, for every person. Wow. Now, years before that, in the 1930s, there was a different uh, geological expedition that that went to the island, and uh, the authorities finally came looking for them. They didn't come back when they were supposed to. The authorities found there was only one member remaining of that expedition. Hmm. They asked him, where where are your friends? He said, I don't know where they are. This cloud came through, and when the cloud was gone, they were gone. They disappeared in this cloud. Now, the authorities are thinking, this guy, he's probably a psychopath. He Maybe he killed these people. They searched the island 
dragged the, the lake, the waters. They didn't find any bodies, no trace of the other expedition members. So they, they never mm. figured it out, but that the last geologist, he spent the rest of his life in prison for it. Well, in both of those, like there was clouds involved and a weird fog, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's this, it's a bizarre element to those stories. This weird fog comes through and changes the way time passes there. Yeah. Strange. The name of that island, it's in the Kazakh language and the, the meaning of it in translated into Russian, it's which means if you go there, you won't come back like the island of no return. <laughs> so it's a, it's a fitting name. Sounds like a charming holiday for, you know, a family. Beautiful, <laughs> lovely place for a picnic. It's great. <laughs> yeah, there's another another story. for This is a recent one from Russia uh, from, from this century. There's a video of this, I think it's a parking lot. It looks like it's next to a warehouse of some kind. And it's just this vacant cement lot. And it's totally empty. It's, this is a security camera uh, footage, black and white. And on the video, inexplicably... This barracks, this whole building appears like it slowly fades into view. And this barracks appears for a few minutes and then it fades out again. Hmm. And the thing is, in that place where there's a vacant lot now, 50 years before there used to be a barracks there, like a Soviet army barracks. Wow. And so it's this ghost barracks. And again, if you look at if you look at this theory of a ghost in the way conventional people think of it, you'd be like, well, how could there be a ghost barracks because a barracks doesn't have a, a soul it doesn't it's not a person yeah. to for their soul to stay behind it's not someone who's who's died and has come back to to make contact or anything it's it's an inanimate object right right but if you look at this idea that the past and present might bleed into each other through some sort of parallel dimension thing that uh, might make more sense and there's a great there's mm. a great quote from a, a Russian researcher of these kind of stories uh, Genrich Silanov is his name and he's he's quoted. He appears in an episode of Strana Odzela, which goes into these stories. That's a it's a Russian program about paranormal phenomena. And so this mm-hmm. researcher Silanov, his quote is: "Все события, которые происходят вместе с нами, записываются природой." Like everything, all of these events that occur alongside us as humans, they are recorded in the land. They're recorded in nature. Hmm. So it's an interesting way to look at ghost stories as this recording from the past that's always on replay. Yeah, it's kind of like maybe maybe things have imprinted onto a location or onto the nature, like he says. Like it's it's there, it's there's an imprint, there's a it's like a photo negative or something, huh? Yeah. Yeah, but Russia is full of these stories of the past bleeding into the present and of these time slips where time seems to just defy the laws of how we think it, it passes. Третье событие. Гибель тургруппы Дятлова. Case number three. The deaths in Dyatlov Pass. So, so far we've talked about ghosts and, and ghost trains, ghost barracks. And this next story, there's no ghosts, there's nothing like that in it, but there's some weird circumstances surrounding this. So in 1959, an expedition of students from the Ural Polytechnical Institute went out on a uh, skiing 
expedition. They were experienced hikers, skiers, outdoors persons. They were, they've actually were certified in, in different areas. So they knew what they were doing, but they went out and they were going to just kind of check out the areas up in the Urals. None of the nine survived. There was one member, uh, a 10th member who, before they got out into the wilderness, uh, wasn't feeling so good. So he stayed along in the village, but none of the nine who went out survived, which just on its own wouldn't be too weird expedition going out into the wilderness gets into some trouble there could be some issues you know right. that wild, happens wild animal or they could have an accident an avalanche this was in it was february right that this happened so there's lots of snow yeah in any other situation maybe a blizzard came up or whatever but these were experienced hikers and and explorers they knew what they were doing they had all the gear that they needed to do so they were they were planning for the worst right what was weird about this situation is just some of the details about their deaths first of all they were staying in a tent and when the investigators came to check it out after the fact it had had appeared that they had quickly left their tent. In fact, they cut through the sides of the tent from the inside out as if they were escaping something. Weird. Like like they're trying to there's some danger inside the tent they're trying to get away from. Yeah. Not not that there was something outside trying to get in, but it seemed like there was something inside with them that they needed to escape. And they felt like they needed to escape quickly. They they all ran out and left uh most of their gear. And in fact, a lot of their clothes, a lot of their warm clothing was there just sitting in the tent when the investigators came back. So whatever freaked them out, it freaked them out enough that they needed to leave immediately and not get the things to survive. You know, they were running out into snow. That is insane in, in Russia in February to run out of your tent in the snow without your clothes. Like you remember how cold it is in February there. Yeah. You got to be terrified to do something that stupid, like le- cut your tent, leave yeah. it, <laughs> go into the snow. You know, and not only not only leave your tent, but you, like you said, cut it. You, you They cut through the wall and ran out, not even going through the doorway or anything. They had to get out of there right then. Yeah. One of the one of the hikers grabbed his camera. He had his camera on his body when they when they found him later. And so you wonder, like, why did he feel compelled to grab his camera but not his jacket? It's a, it's a mystery. So um, six of these explorers died of hypothermia, and the explorers were kind of spread out. Uh, some of them were found in the woods, which were just a little bit away from where their tent was. Two of them were near a, a fire, and their hands were burned, but they were frozen. They, they had succumbed to the elements. Others of them looked like they were trying to make their way back to the tent and had just perished and fallen down there in the snow and fallen asleep forever. So six of those six of those were found immediately after when investigators came. Three of them weren't found for months afterwards. But when they did finally find them, they all had physical traumas to their bodies. One of them, uh, his his head was cracked open. Uh, two of them had chest fractures as if they were bludgeoned or hit by something large and powerful. One of the girls that they found later, uh, her tongue and her eyes and portions of her face were missing. Ooh, her tongue and her eyes. Oh, that's so creepy. Yeah. Something weird happened out there that um, nobody knows what went on. So what are, what are some of the theories of, like, does anyone have a theory of 
what happened? Yeah, there's there's a lot of theories out there. There's they range from the 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 normal to the paranormal. The normal theories, one that I think was the official cause of death was that there was an avalanche that happened uh, to them and for some reason they had to escape their tent because of an avalanche and then they weren't able to get back into their tent. But there's no evidence of the avalanche that happened in that area. You know, if, if there wasn't if there was an avalanche, you know, you would possibly see piles of snow and their 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 tent wasn't completely covered with snow. There was some snow right. on it because people came, you know, days afterwards, but it wasn't destroyed in the way that an avalanche would destroy. It. Right. Also, they were if these are all expert hikers, they'd be experienced in hiking in the snow. They would have known exactly where an avalanche would be likely and they never would have even pitch their tent in in a place that that might have an avalanche prone area. Yeah. Exactly. Another another idea that people have thought that maybe there was some kind of romantic involvement between some of the explorers and that that caused tempers to flare and there was some kind of fight that caused them to leave the tent without all of their clothes on. <laughs> but, you know, that I mean that might make sense for a couple of them, but for nine backpackers to, you know, leave their tent and die like that just doesn't make sense. Nobody has said that any of these folks had any of these romantic uh, types of involvement with each other. There's no records of that before. The other hiker who was with them, you know, says that wasn't the case. But that's one theory. And I could imagine, I could imagine maybe doing something that stupid, like running out into the snow half naked, if you were really drunk, and there was some romantic flares, tensions going up. But they were there was no evidence of them having drank alcohol, was there? There was no alcohol. They they had uh, some like a small flask of medicinal alcohol. Right. If you get a cut, you want to clean it with alcohol. But that wasn't touched. That was there in the tent, just waiting for them, and no and no other signs of alcohol around at all. One of the other um, thoughts, and and some people kind of made this into a scapegoat situation. The area that they were hiking in belongs to an indigenous tribe called the Mansi people. They were, a, you know, an indigenous group that lived there in the cold Ural Mountains. And some people have said that possibly people from the Monsi tribe came and attacked them as maybe retribution for being on their land. There's some other ideas about that, but it doesn't make any sense there either because when investigators came out, there were only nine sets of tracks. There were no other tracks around. So there's nobody, it's definite that nobody came up to their tent. It was just them out there. There's no signs of it. Um, if somebody yeah. came up there, they were they weren't walking through the snow. Ooh. Here's where we get to some of the weirder situations. Other hikers in the area claim to have seen orange lights in the sky, and these folks were like 50 kilometers from the site, so they weren't within range, you know, to hear anything that was happening over there or to see these hikers. But they were close enough to see things in the sky. So there was these orange orbs floating through the sky. Ooh. Now, who knows what that could be? <laughs> um, people think that maybe if if the, the Mansi theory is true, maybe the Mansi people saw these orbs and saw that as a sign from their ancestors that it was okay to kill these people for being on their land. Other folks think that maybe it was a military experiment. It was known in the surrounding areas that the Soviet military would do tests, radiological tests, so there's possibility that this might have been what happened and, and this happened out there. The other thought 
that a lot of people have is that somehow UFOs touch down, you know, maybe a an extraterrestrial beamed itself into their tent and which caused panic and they freaked out and they ran from their tent. Yeah. A couple other thoughts. The Monsi people in the area have legends about a mink and the mink is basically kind of a Russian Siberian version of a Yeti or a Bigfoot. Okay. The mink were these special beings that were endowed by the gods and lived in the area, and um, so there's thought that maybe uh, maybe one of these supernatural minks came into their campsite and killed them to get them all off of the the area. That people think that when it comes to you know the injuries that some of them sustained, whatever it was, it's unexplained. You know, there's many different theories about what happened to these people, but. Um, what I know is I'm not planning to be camping out there anytime soon. Yeah, no no trips going to the Dyatlov Pass anytime. And actually, uh, the Monsi people have a name for the mountain that they were in. And the mountain is Kolhat Sakil, which supposedly translates to Mountain of the Dead. Nice. So that's not that's not where I want to go. That is so heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's What a creepy story, though. Just, like, none of it adds up. None of it makes sense, and... Like the mutilation, yeah. the injuries, like cutting the tent from the inside to run out of it. Yeah. It's just like whatever happened there, it was terrifying enough for these people to to go out and get hypothermia just to get out of that tent. And I don't yeah. know what that was that would terrify nine experienced hikers enough to go risk their lives to get out of their own tent. One theory that people have that... I probably tend to think is probably what happened because I feel like I've experienced something like this, is that these hikers experienced what is called infrasound. Now, infrasound is a phenomenon about how when the wind was blowing up over the mountains in this area, the way that the waves would move, uh, the sound waves of the wind would amplify and create this low-pitched sound that was really low, almost lower than uh, human ears could hear. When these hikers were there in this area for a prolonged time, they were experiencing this sound and it was causing them to freak out and get anxious and eventually flip out and run out of their tent. And I say that I've experienced that before. Dave, earlier on, we talked about one of our experiences in our room when we heard this weird sound in our room. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was like a like a vibrating, humming, just this bizarre low-frequency sound. Yeah, we would stand, uh, we realized that the sound was only happening in certain parts of the room, and it was kind of freaking us out. We didn't know what was going on. Um, we would walk to one side of the room, and it would be incredibly loud, almost unbearably loud. And then we would take a few steps away from it, and you couldn't hear anything. Yeah. And so that was really strange. But we realized there was a car parked outside in the courtyard, and its engine was going. And I think that the sound waves from the engine were coming up into our apartment and bouncing across the cement walls of our apartment, which was causing the sound waves to phase in and out of each other, which caused it to amplify the sound and made it made it a really weird spooky sound that we heard and and you know how that works you're a you're a musician you know how you know how sound can be fickle and if you get the acoustics right you it can play tricks on your mind like that i know i know enough of it to to know how to manipulate some people into worship at least (laughs) (laughs) hey that's that's your job 
Четвертое событие. Тунгусский феномен. Кейс номер 4. Тунгаска. One of the weirdest, most inexplicable events in Russia's history in the 20th century is the Tunguska event. What happened in, uh, in the year 1908, June 30th, this explosion in the sky burned and decimated over 2,000 square kilometers of forest. Thousands of people saw this, people as far away as Lake Baikal, uh, all the nearby tribes people their different ethnicities this is in Siberia in the Tunguska River Valley saw this bright light explode in the sky they said a light hung in the sky for days and nights after it happened and uh, this this enormous explosion burns the trees all the trees are are leaning sideways they're all carbonized and at the time people were just terrified like there are there are tons of of eyewitness documents eyewitness uh, testimonies from From the people who lived uh, in that forest, luckily it's a sparsely populated area. Uh, I mean, if this had happened over a city, you can imagine just millions of people could have died. In this case, though, amazingly, it seems like nobody died. There were a couple claims that were never verified, but but no known casualties from this huge explosion. Uh, they later on they measured the size of the blast. And it was around 15 megatons of TNT, the equivalent of 15 megatons of TNT, which is a thousand times bigger than the atomic bomb that got dropped on Hiroshima. So this enormous explosion, lights in the sky, people said they felt the earth tremble, nomads and hunters said they saw hundreds of animals running out of the forest, deer and rabbits running terrified away from this explosion. Uh, there were people whose the windows in their homes were shattered. Some people were knocked out of their beds in, in their homes. Wow. Uh, and people thought it was the end of the world. All the native people and, uh, and Russian farmers who lived nearby, they saw this and they thought it was the apocalypse. People started praying and just begging to God or to, to the ancestors to take them away. So that all happened in 1908. People in the Orthodox Church who said it was a sign from God... The government tried to ignore it. Uh, the government already had enough on its hands because the revolution had already started. So they've got unrest, and they're just trying to ignore this thing. But then eventually the revolution triumphs. The Bolsheviks come in. The country's Soviet. And now all of a sudden it's an officially communist, Marxist, atheist state. And so the Soviet government comes into power, and they decide to revisit this years and years later. The Soviets said, said no, we know now, we know there's no such thing as... Signs from God, there's no such thing as unexplainable phenomena. What this was was a meteorite, because it, it sure sounded like a meteorite. So they said this, this had to have been a meteorite, and judging by the size of the meteor, we're looking at several tons of, possibly of iron, of, of metals from outer space. And so in 1930, the Soviet government decides to send an expedition to investigate And they say, we're going to send this expedition. It was headed up by Leonid Kulik. And uh, they send this expedition of him and explorers and engineers. So they're going to go look for this meteorite, try to find it. Because if they can find this meteorite with thousands of tons of metal, they can use that for the country's development. 
you know, this is 1930. They're developing factories, building roads, railways, trains. So this is like thousands of tons of of free metal that just dropped out of the sky. And so we're going to find it and we're going to use it to develop our yeah. country. Yeah. And this is happening at this period where everyone's excited. It's we're building a new world, a world that makes sense where everything falls into place and science can explain everything. It's a world of reason and rationality. And so it's, it's going to be this great victory for, for that new way of viewing the world as a world where we can control things and things make sense. But the problem is they send this expedition out into Siberia and they come across one problem after another. Weird things start happening. They have a lot of trouble trying to get even close to the zone of the Tunguska River Valley where the explosion happened. And they're trying to find a guide, trying to find someone who will take them out there. And all the locals say, no, there's no way we're going there. A lot of the Slavic Russian locals would say that that place was cursed. They said it was cursed by, by God. They would never go there. And then they talked to the native people, the Evanki and the other native groups. And the native people said, no, we don't we don't go to the Tunguska Valley because that's where the valley men are. The, va- the valley men? The valley men, yeah. What's the valley and men? Well, they said, they said, is that another tribe? Is it another ethnicity of people like you? And they said, no, no, the valley men, they're not people. They're like what? people, but they're not people. Oh, man. <laughs> so this is something like, yeah. And, and so Leonid Kulik, he wasn't going to be deterred. Uh, he uh, he just kept pushing forward and and said, eventually they find some guides to take them up into the mountains. Uh, their compasses start going haywire. Their equipment isn't working. They, they get lost a bunch of times. They're wandering around the forest. But finally, after a long time, they hike through the forest and they they finally get to this ridge and they come up over to look down into the Tunguska Valley right in ground zero where this thing exploded. And they get there and they look and they all just stare because they can see thousands of trees. They're all burned and all lean to the side with the same angle, showing that something definitely exploded in the sky. Uh-huh. But they look down and there's no crater and there's no meteorite. Oh, wow. It's just nothing but the burned forest, the burned trees, this evidence of something that exploded, but they don't find a meteorite or a crater. So they go down into the valley. They took samples from the tree bark. Uh, later on, they analyzed the samples, and they did find elements that are extraterrestrial, elements that don't occur on Earth but exist in other parts of the universe, the galaxy. So to this day, nobody's got wow. a definitive explanation for that. Now, there are some theories that it could have been an ice meteorite that evaporated in the air, but but those don't exactly explain the way the crash site looks. I mean, nobody has ever come up with a definitive answer to what exactly happened in Tunguska. Uh, some people have this theory that uh, Tesla, Nikolai Tesla, might have been running secret experiments in a new kind of explosive, and one of those may have, it might have been planned or may have gotten out, out of his hands and might have accidentally exploded in this remote wilderness. Wow. That's one of those kind of conspiracy theories. But of course, for people who are into stories about extraterrestrials, stories about visitors from other worlds, this is the kind of thing that sounds like the kind of stories that they tell. You've got these people who are men but are not men in this place, elements that are extraterrestrial, and something, whatever it was, something came out of the heavens and exploded over Tunguska Valley. And to this day, nobody knows exactly what it was. 
So we experienced some weird situations. Moving eyes uh, kind of freaked us out. You know, maybe maybe we maybe we put a demon in him from from talking to him and, and giving him a personality. And then the the weird knockings that we heard on our windows that one night. Both of those situations kind of freaked us out because the paranormal aspects of maybe what happened. But in reality, we were a lot more freaked out about other things that were going on in our lives at the time. Yeah, we had a lot more to, to worry about than ghosts at that time. We had just gotten back from a trip to Germany. And when we got back, one of our friends called us and said, Dave, Grant, you guys got to watch out. The skinheads are out looking for you. They said they said about 20 skinheads had showed up at the church on, was it Tuesday that we had our youth group? This group yeah. of 20 skinheads showed up looking for these foreigners, saying that they wanted to beat us up because we were foreign. And that was the only reason that they, they needed to beat us up. They said, we hear you've got foreigners in there. And uh, next time we find them, we're going to beat the crap out of them. Yeah. And, and so skinheads in Russia, to me, are a lot freakier than skinheads in America. The the guys that we saw out there were not afraid to scrap. They were not afraid to fight. They were they they were the type of guys who would work out and they were literally skinheads. They would buzz their heads, they would wear bomber jackets. Um, there was a couple different brands of them. Some of them were uh, neo-Nazi skinheads, which didn't make sense to me. You know, the Nazis were trying to kill the Russians. Yeah, didn't the Nazis want to destroy your country? Yeah. And then uh, and then there was the Russia for the Russians skinheads who were the basically the nationalists. And those guys freaked us out. We could pick them out when we were going around. We would see them with their bald heads and their bomber jackets. And they always had these armbands patches on their jackets, which were the colors of the Russian flag. So whenever we right. saw them, we wouldn't talk. Uh, we could blend yeah. in, you know, because we were white. We didn't stand out as foreigners. But once people heard us speaking, they could tell that we weren't from the area. So we tried to stay away from them. So so our our thoughts were, after abandoning our paranormal thoughts about the knocking on the windows, was that the skinheads were freaking us out, that somehow they figured out where we lived and they were um, they were trying to scare us and let, let us know that they were they were on to us. Which is terrifying to think that they would be willing to go to that, to those lengths to freak us out of like finding our apartment and then dragging one ladder to the front of the building, another to all the way around to the back of the building and climbing up to the third floor, banging on our windows. Because it's like, dude, if they're willing to do that, they're willing to break in the windows and come storm our place. Like, who knows what they do? Yeah. Like, I'd rather, I'll take the Valley Men over that any day. I'll go hang out in Zyatlov Pass. I'll take anything over a bunch of skinheads looking for me. I'll spend the night in Moving Ives' room every night for the rest of the year. <laughs> oh, totally. rather than Rather than have to face those guys. Yeah, Moving Ives is nothing. <laughs> hey, remember remember um, on Halloween when we had a run-in with the skinheads? Scariest Halloween ever. Yeah. Scariest Halloween of my life. Yeah. We went to we went to Club Jam that night. It was a rock club. We were friends with the owners, and they would it was like a venue. They had a bar. They would host uh, rock concerts there. Yeah, we played some concerts there. Yeah, yeah, we played some events. We played there. So they told us, hey, David and Grant, we're going to do a Halloween-themed concert because you guys are American and Halloween's your holiday, so, so come on by. Yeah. 
So this is like the Halloween, the same week that we've gotten back from Germany. We've heard that there are 20 skinheads looking for us somewhere in the city. And now we've got this knocking on our windows on the third floor apartment. And then we say, well, let's go to the concert, and but we'll just keep a low profile. Yeah. Sit in the back. So we're there. We're having a good time. You know, we, there's some good music going on. Like Dave said, the owners knew us. Uh, they were friends of ours. We'd play some shows there. So, you know, they were buying us drinks. And by drinks, I mean coffee because uh, we were still not drinking in public, but uh, we're, we're hanging out and talking. And I remember sitting at this table and looking across and there was this dude wearing a skeleton mask. It was like this skin tight skeleton mask with just black eyes. And this dude just kept staring at us all night. And he had these huge arms, like his biceps are the size of my thighs too. He's just this enormous beefy dude yeah, with his arms folded across his chest, just staring at us through his empty eye holes in his mask. Yeah, it was, that was freaky. And I remember thinking like, who is this guy? Like, why is he, why is he looking at us? Did we play music with him sometime? You know, did we do a concert with him? Should we go up and and say, hi, is it a friend? Does he Uh, know us from the Baptist church? (laughs) Yeah, I doubt that. But, um, (laughs) but who knows? And so finally we, uh, we, we asked uh, the uh, friend that we were sitting with, we're like, who is that guy over there? And he says, uh, oh, that's Anton. He's the leader of the skinheads. And we both looked at each other and we went pale as if we saw a ghost. Crap. Son of a... You gotta be kidding me. The leader of the skinheads. And so we thought, okay, well, let's... We'll sneak out. Maybe he really isn't staring at us. Maybe, you know, just the way that his mask is, it's just an illusion. Let's let's get out of here, you know, and we'll sneak out of here before we go. And we're about to leave and um and I think uh, Trumba, our friend who owns the the club, saw us leaving, and he was up on stage giving some kind of an announcement. Right. He he called us and out. From all the... of a sudden, he yells out. He yells out, "Dave and Grant, my American friends, you guys are leaving," <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. He he got so Trumba got up on stage. He was a goofy looking dude. He had big bug eyes, and he was always drunk. And he got up on stage and, like, interrupted the song and grabbed the mic. Ребята, вы все знаете, что сегодня это американский праздник. As you all know, Halloween is an American holiday. And today we have two American citizens with us, Grant and David. Stand up, give a bow. And he gets the light on us and points us out. And the skinhead in the monster mask is just staring daggers at us. Like That was when we could feel it. Oh, I was so scared. I thought I was going to die that night. Me too. So we did sneak out. We we got out of there halfway through the concert. We cut home through the through the graveyard. We took a, a shortcut through the graveyard so they wouldn't follow us. Yeah, yeah. We lost them. At least they didn't find out where we were. But that was not the end of our experiences with skinheads. No, it wasn't. In fact, that scary Halloween night that was only the beginning of our troubles with the skinheads, and it was by far the least terrifying experience we had with them. But to hear the rest of those stories, sorry, but you're going to have to tune in to our next season when we come back after our break next year. We hope that you guys have enjoyed this spooky episode of To Russia With Love. And like Dave said, we'll be back next spring with uh, season two, where we'll tell more of our stories and get more into what we love and what we experienced out in Russia. So don't forget to hit subscribe and please give us a review if you haven't already. If you've listened through this whole season, then thank you. You're a great 
uh, supporter of ours. But the best way that you can support us right now is by commenting and interacting with Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating on there, hopefully a five-star rating, but, you know, I'm not going to make you do things. <laughs> and especially if you can write us a review, um, those go a long way for when people are searching for good content to listen to. So thanks again. We'll see you guys next year. And have a great Halloween, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> This special episode of To Russia With Love was sponsored by the Valley Men of Tunguska, the ghosts of Dyatlov Pass, the time travelers of Kaliningrad, and the skull of Nikolai Chekhov. Spasibo za Please, thank you. <laughs>